This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. This episode is a bit of a difficult one because it covers a really tricky topic and that's the topic of abortion. We chatted to Robin Bain about the issue in episode 26 and we were really chatting a lot about uh, the theology of abortion as well as her work in thinking through a practical response, really from a, a big picture perspective. In today's episode, we talk with Liz Preston, who has been on the ground working for an organisation called Priceless Life, which is in southeast Queensland. Liz has so much experience and so much warmth um, and I know that the people who are counselled by her or who are trained as counsellors with the organisation really benefit from her experience and her humility. It just comes out so much in, in how she talks about this issue and the kind of people that she loves as she shares the hope that they can have um, and the options that they have in the future with their unwanted pregnancy. I say that it's a difficult topic because I know that some people may have been really closely affected by this issue, Um, but there are words for you in this episode. So if you think you can handle it, I think it's a good one to listen to. Liz talks about how she and her husband got involved in this work and how God was at work in closing a door to open up what has really become such an important work for them. She also talks about uh, some of the barriers that people face when they do have an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy um, and also the hope that she has both for people that she counsels but also um, for our society and for the work that she does. Welcome, Liz, to the Lydia Project. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to my conversation with you. And I have to say that when I first had the idea of doing this podcast, the aim was to uh, encourage people to hear Christian women talking about how they live out their faith in their life and how Mm -hmm. their faith impacts their life. But I also wanted to showcase different ministries that people were involved in. Mm -hmm. And right from the beginning, this Priceless House was one of the ministries that I was really eager to be able to showcase because I just think it's so good and so many people just don't even know about it. Yes, no, that's great. Yeah, happy to talk about all of that. Awesome. So (laughs) why don't we start? Can you tell me how you came to trust in Jesus as your saviour? Well, I grew up in a family that went to church, but in terms of conscious understandings or even having questions about about Christian faith or about life, I didn't find I I got many answers when I started having questions from those people in my family or around me in that uh, context that helped me. But I did have a couple of Christian friends at school, in high school, who went to a different church and it was through 
going to that church and then eventually going on a youth camp that the gospel was outlined in a way that connected with me. And it was a ski camp, and I can still remember it, even though it's um, a lot of years ago now. It wasn't the skiing that was the highlight for me. It was the Bible studies in the evening. So whereas most people loved the skiing and kind of tolerated the Bible studies, I tolerated the skiing and um, just drank up the Bible studies. And um, so, that yeah, that was where I came to put my faith in, in Jesus in a conscious sort of way. And it was a pretty beautiful place to do it. Yeah, up in on the Victoria or no, in, in Tasmania, Tasmania, in the Highlands. On the yeah, we have plenty of snow down there. I did not know there yeah. were ski fields though. Yep. Yeah. And I started going to a different church where I was nurtured in my faith in a one-on-one way. So now you're the director of Priceless House, or uh, I'm on the board uh, at the moment. I've done a fair a few different things over the years. But at the moment, I'm on the board, but I also manage the counselling and priceless care, which is sort of the the group of services that we offer for people in, in uh, needing uh, support through priceless. What led you to being involved in pro-life work? When we got married, we first of all thought that we might be heading overseas on a mission. Uh, with a mission and so we went to Bible College, my husband and I, for two years and during that time we were given by another student some pamphlets that came from uh, Keith and Melody Green's ministry, Last Days Ministries, so this is going back in the 80s now, and they really opened our eyes to abortion which to be honest that I'm aware of not really ever crossed my path or my thinking prior to then and it was a similar situation for my husband. We suddenly became aware of what abortion is and obviously that was talking about America but we Mm. um, then started looking around and realised things were somewhat similar here in Australia. And did you find that abortion as an issue wasn't really spoken about much in church? No, never. Well, I'd been to church for a few years then and I'd never heard it talked about. Um, I'd never in small groups had it discussed, had been to uni. And why do you think that was or is? Well, I think it's because people, even Christian people, don't really know, even today, don't really know what to what to say, how to, how to kind of manage it. And I think as time has gone by, more and more people in the church and out of the church have been impacted by abortion, not necessarily themselves, but people they know or they come to know that there's abortions in their family. or And so there's this sense of, oh, well, you know, if I look into it too much, I might have to talk about it or I might have to how am I going to manage this or what do I say to this person oh I couldn't say something like oh no I don't know what to do so people go oh okay well is he not wanting to make other people feel guilty for their choices to have one yeah definitely that's part of it and I think that's one of the reasons why it's not not talked about very much from the pulpit either because um, pastors and ministers don't want to upset people who've had abortions or who know people or maybe you know so I think in a way, we've all become complicit 
somehow, whether it's through um, experience or whether it's through um, our silence, and now we just don't know what to do with it. However, having said that, I think there are some people who are starting to talk about it. Now, when you think about, well, what do you say, it becomes a bit complicated as well because it is a very polarising issue if you talk about it as an issue rather than as a, um, uh, as a personal, on the personal level, you know, because of the politics around it and because of things that have happened and people have said things and done things. And so I think even if we want to talk about it, it's even hard to know how to talk about it. So it's tricky. And so we've tended, especially in Australia, to kind of bury our heads in the sand. And I think also we don't know enough about it. That's certainly been my experience. I've mm. been really shocked when I've learnt how common it is. Mm. And that's something that I feel unless you do a bit of digging, you don't really know how common abortion is and how many abortions happen in Australia yeah. each year. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like we don't know how big an issue it actually mm, is. Definitely. And the longer that we've left it unattended, the, the bigger it's become because of the numbers of people who've had abortions, who've been impacted by abortion. And we've had now three, four generations of people who have, you know, if you think about it, coming into the world in a more um, liberalised form. But having said that, I do think also another complicating factor is that we all have a sense deep down that there's something rather um, there's something rather um, unpleasant <laughs> I'm not sure what the word is about it so we don't really want to go there either and even women who have abortions do not inform themselves about what they're about to go through and I think that's because they do know subconsciously, <laughs> intuitively, that they're not going to like what they find and therefore they don't want to face that. But the overwhelming issues at the moment and the pressures and the everything else are just so big that that's what they respond to rather than allowing themselves to be informed. Mm. And certainly if they do approach people who are in favour of abortion, then they're going to hear the messages that people are happy to say that, mm. that, you know, just deal with it, it'll be done and you can go back to career or study or mm. it'll be as if it's never happened. Yeah. People are happy to say those things yeah. to them, not And that's what they want to hear. Exactly. I just can, yeah. I can actually get over this and yep. have this done and just get over it and be okay. Mm. So you and your husband heard thought about these issues from yeah. an Australian context mm -hmm. and then what happened next? Well, the first thing that we did was we thought, well, nobody else knows because no one's talking about it, so let's make people aware. So we actually <laughs> imported from America hundreds of these leaflets and started on our very tight budget as students uh, posting them out to churches all around Queensland, I think we did mainly. So you were in Queensland by then when yep. you were studying? Yes, yep. Graham's from uh, Brisbane, mm -hmm. so I moved up here. He was convinced that he could never survive in Tasmania. Too cold? Too cold, and I thought, well, that's silly because there's lots of people who survive down there. <laughs> anyway, so I moved north. And we received almost no response from people. 
Were you offering to go and talk or do seminars? Well, or? no, because we didn't know much ourselves at that point. All we wanted to do was kind of help people become more informed, like mm. we had become informed. Mm. Uh, we also looked around and found there was a pro-life group here in Brisbane, so we was went that along there. Right that, to Life Australia, was that It was part called of that? Right to Life Queensland, yeah. and it's now called Cherish yeah. Life. Back then, they were mostly Catholic people. If it wasn't for the Catholic Church, the issue as an issue would have been, been really long gone. But And as we weren't Catholics, we kind of struggled a little bit to know how to, to manage all that in terms of being involved in the group. But because we were going, we believed, overseas, we kind of didn't launch into it too fully. And then uh, our application was uh, put on hold for going overseas. They were concerned about some health issues. And so they asked us to go to Melbourne to work in the missions office headquarters in Melbourne for a year. And then in Melbourne, that's where we um, met the people from Right to Life Australia, which is a, a different pro-life group, but, I mean, they all, they all lead in the same direction. And while we were down there, we also took the opportunity to train in the um, work of their pregnancy I can't remember what they the called it. Crisis, crisis Pregnancy, pregnancy Agency that yeah. they ran. Then we turned to Brisbane and um, they said, no, they weren't going to have us go. So we sort of had been on that track for a couple of years. So it was a rather a strange period of time where we didn't quite know what to make of it all. <laughs> when Right to Life Australia heard that we weren't going to go overseas, they asked us if we would like to work with their mailing list up here and see if we could do something up here with Right to Life Australia. And one of the things that we decided though was that if we were going to talk about abortion as not being the thing to do, whatever way we were going to say that, we needed to provide support for people who were struggling because they were pregnant, abortion was going to be out of the picture, but they needed support. So we got back to Brisbane in 19, at the end of 1989. Priceless started out initially as the Pregnancy Problem Centre started in 1996 we opened. So it was, you know, in that time we were, we had a few children um, and we also started to work out how we might do something, gathered some like-minded people and started it off. What does Priceless do now? I know it does quite a lot and I know it's changed a bit over the years in where its sort of focuses have been, but broadly speaking, what's the what's the main aim and activities yeah. of Priceless now? So in some ways the aim hasn't changed at all, but our capacity to do things has changed as we've gathered more people. So now we provide counselling, which can be one-off, can be in person and can be on our helpline. We provide mentoring. So these are friends with a purpose. So for a period of time, have a mentoring relationship to assist going through whatever a person's facing. We have material support, which we've always had. Um, accommodation can be a big issue for people. We have a, a couple of midwives amongst our volunteers, but not always here, but we can call upon to help with not clinical services, not because we're not a medical service at all, 
but in terms of education. So somebody who's in difficulty, probably a lot of the girls that we see feel a little bit uncomfortable in the hospital system. They go to classes or something and everyone's there with their partner or their friend and everyone's happy and, and they're there wondering, what am I doing here? Do I really want to be here? So if we can provide a midwife just to help answer their questions and help prepare them for the birth and that early stage of actually holding a baby and that sort of thing. And our latest addition has been some early parenting support. And we now have travelled with some of our mums right from early pregnancy, decision-making time, right through until the baby's um, over one. So we, we don't want to be there till the baby's 18 <laughs> because, you know, it's not about making them dependent on us, but that early parenting time is so crucial. We offer um, Circle of Security, which is a parenting program which has got very favourable outcomes and is looked upon by agencies who are concerned about how women are coping mm. very favourably. So we do that. But we also have linked in a bit with the Triple P Parenting Online program, which pe which our mentors can do with women and just trying to help people prepare more confidently to well, what is parenting all about. This is a great addition because when we think about wanting someone to choose to, to continue their pregnancy and keep their child, it's pretty scary if you don't know what you're doing. Not everybody that we see is in this sort of situation, but there's generations of people who are struggling because the parenting that they received was very inadequate. And so how could they be confident? The risk is that they are judged to be not competent parent and and we see that in the child safety system parenting is in crisis F families are in crisis in our community really and abortion is seen as an answer to that because why would you want to bring a child into this sort of chaos but I don't think that's the answer because there are indications that abortion contributes to perpetuating that crisis and the ongoing trauma that we see because the other thing that's big in our, in our work at the moment is post-abortion care. So when we first started, probably one in 10 calls were women who had had abortions and sometimes men who were in distress as well. And now it's about one in four or one in five calls. We even see people now within a week of having an abortion. I have made a terrible mistake and I just don't know how to cope. And so how do they find priceless? Those people as well as people who are facing this massive future change to their life yeah. and not coping and not knowing what to do, how do they find priceless house? Okay, so keeping data about that is, is a little bit tricky sometimes because some of our calls are just one-off calls and it's yeah. difficult to say, now, can you just tell me how you found yeah. it? <laughs> but mostly it is just by Googling unplanned pregnancy or pregnancy help or something like that and even putting in the word abortions uh, we will come up but increasingly it's about word of mouth whether it's because they know about us because they've been here or know someone who's been here or through 
just hearing about us somewhere along the lines. We, in the last few years too, have had our work appreciated by some other agencies, like some hospital, the hospitals, child safety, some other family support organisations, GPs. So, yeah, it's a variety of ways. Mm. Yeah. And do you think Priceless is known enough in churches in Brisbane or southeast Queensland? No, and that's partly before I mentioned about the sort of hesitation in the churches to even talk about anything to do with abortion. It's partly that, but it's also partly we need to be more proactive in promoting ourselves. Uh, we are a relatively small organisation when it comes to our workforce, which is 99% volunteers. But yes, promotions, and that is high on the agenda of our new board. Because crisis pregnancies happen in churches as well. Definitely. And abortions happen in churches absolutely, as well. Yeah, yeah, sadly. And so I personally feel if churches knew about Priceless House more and knew enough to sort of trust it and to think straight away mm. when they heard of a situation, either from someone in church or a friend outside of church, yeah. then... Yeah, there'd just be more opportunity for people to refer to you and yeah. hopefully provide opportunities for yes, priceless support. <clears throat> we're definitely working on that more proactively now. Mm. And are there similar organisations around Australia? Yes, so we're affiliated with Pregnancy Help Australia, which is a national body. There are probably 20, 25 agencies around Australia. It's not enough in turn when you look at the size even geographical size of Australia, but, you know, it's an important network of support that people could plug into more more than they probably do. Mm. Sadly, with the more easily access to abortion these days, people don't stop and think, do I need to go and talk? But we would really encourage people to, to take time to pause. And so here. people who do contact, they, they ring up and you're, I'm assuming, encourage them to pause and think mm. about it and talk about it and is your kind of hope that they will come in and sit down and have a chat about what their fears are and yes well that's obviously the best scenario if they can come in or we can link them with somebody in their area that they can go and talk to if they call from different parts of Australia but a lot of people don't want to do that either they well they can't because they're too far away so the phone opportunity is helpful or they just want to maintain that anonymity so they just want to talk and not have look look at somebody or be seen going somewhere or, mm. and that sort of thing. So that's fair enough as well. And we do know that people have been significantly helped by just a phone conversation. Just to have their fears even and their concerns normalised is a big thing. And what are the big fears? fears for women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Pressure from other people to not continue and to have an abortion is still very huge. And often they're people close to them, aren't they? Yes, so the, either the the boyfriend or the even the husband. So, I mean, the pressure could be for a whole lot of reasons, but I'm just saying that it's still a big thing for women to face what other people think mm. you should do, mm. they should do, or not do. And depending on how close or how important that relationship is, um, has a big impact on that as well. And so the fear is that if they do go against those people's wishes and 
proceed with the pregnancy that they won't have the support or approval. That's right. Which yeah. is pretty significant, isn't it, yeah. if you're facing an unplanned pregnancy? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Sadly, sometimes that uh, that pressure or the, those comments by other people, well, they, ca- they can be very str- uh, strongly expressed, but, for example, just this week I was talking with a lady who didn't find out until after she'd had the abortion that her husband wasn't really happy with her having the abortion, but had sort of given her the impression, you know, I'll support you whatever you like, uh, whatever you want to do sort of thing. But she didn't pause long enough to ask, well, well, what do you want? Because he would have been able to change things around so they could have had this child. And, and now she's just facing, well, how did I do, what did I, what, yeah. And it was a very quick decision. She's still struggling to understand why did I even try and make this decision, this big decision so quickly? So there's pressure from others. There's obviously the the sense of unexpectedness and throws people and stops them from being able to do their normal kind of problem solving. When other things have been thrown at me, what do I do? How do I stop and think so they go into this panic mode which doesn't allow them to really think things through like they might normally but then there are big things like you know financially how am I going to afford this this wasn't in my plan I I don't even like the guy I don't even know who the guy is how can I face my friends and my family the shame Mm. is still a huge thing but shame after abortion is still a huge thing as well but it's all internal. Yeah. Oh, mm. shame is that very mm. hidden thing. And For people who are considering an abortion, do you try and help them work through each of those fears and mm. kind of problem solve their way through them or try and show them that having an abortion won't answer those fears mm. necessarily? Or It's a delicate process, mm. the crisis call and the trying to work your way through that. I mean, in the end, they have to make a decision. And in the end, they can put the phone down or walk out of here easily. And we know that people do walk out of here and still choose to have abortions. And we we just have to accept that that can happen because we do have free will. And our society has said it's okay and so it is accessible. If there weren't abortion clinics, doctors willing to do abortions, well, that would solve some of the problems. A good call includes all of those things. So very careful listening to where the person's at, what's going on. They need to know that we care. They're not going to be willing to sort things through with someone they don't think gets it. So just try and get them out of the narrow tunnel that they're in and widen their views to just consider that, oh, yeah, wait a minute, I do have some, there's a few ideas here. You must hear a lot of complicated situations and a lot of hard stories along the way, but can you tell us and share with us sometimes that Priceless has helped people? Sometimes we've heard back from people who um, we might have seen once and then we don't hear from them and then suddenly one day they'll let us know they've had the baby and what's going on. And so I remember a couple that came in It was obvious that he was very concerned about his wife having another baby. She identified as a Christian and was saying that she couldn't have an abortion. And so this was obviously going to be a lot of tricky conversations between the two of them. But 
part of what came out was that he had a, a real concern about having a child with a disability and I wasn't really sure what that was about because yeah, she was a little bit older but not that old. So we gave them a couple of things and they went away and then then she did. She contacted us back and said how everything had gone really well and she had the baby and her husband was really happy and thank you so much for all you did and I thought well, we didn't do a lot in some ways but obviously our support at that time had meant a lot to her and she'd done the, the hard work of living each day with her husband and, and gently convincing him that everything was going to be okay and that was a really heartwarming story and I was thinking you know that family if she'd had an abortion she would have had gone against her her values and it would have been difficult for her to live with her husband who had in a sense got his way for her to have an abortion and relationships where one person did or didn't etc there was a disagreement they face a lot of stress if there's a decision made like that which you can understand so that was a really nice one we've seen some ladies choose to continue their pregnancies in very difficult circumstances on their own a couple of them have said this baby saved my life literally if i hadn't had him i would have committed suicide but because i had him i knew that my life had purpose and every day he's the joy of my life and you go whoa that's that's huge so these are the sorts of stories and people relationships that make it all worthwhile and in terms of the post-abortion counseling that you do what's the aim there post-abortion counselling is really important because if we think about 100,000 abortions every year in Australia, that's a lot of women who are having abortions. Now, not all of them present with needing help. But for those who do, it's so important that they're given the time and the place to, to work things through. I think it's a testimony to our work here at Priceless that people come back after having an abortion or who find us after having an abortion, even though they probably know that we are mostly doing pregnancy support. So we're supporting people who continue their pregnancies. And part of that too, I think, is a decision we made a few years ago to have counsellors who are professional counsellors. So we've all got a, a proper counselling qualification. An added bonus for us in that is that the counsellors who are Christians have had to work through their own issues and their own capacity to be able to hold the other person's story without their own story interfering. It is a thing to be worked through, a person's sense of, well, all the different things that go with it. It could be feeling guilty, it could be feeling shame, and then when you've worked with those things, then you can really come to terms with, with how this is affecting me. No wonder I feel like this. No wonder I can't look at my children and feel happy anymore because always I'm thinking about the other child. Now, some people don't feel like that, so you, you have to go with that as well. I've had a couple of people who just cried and cried and cried and haven't connected the fact that they're actually grieving so post-abortion work, I think, is going to be crucial and I think will become an increasing area of work for us. 
it's not an easy process, but it does, and it does challenge you to bring all your skills in to to see someone move forward. But when when you see people who come in devastated, and then after some time, which could be quite a long time, leave knowing they've been heard, having validated the existence of their child that everybody else kind of wanted to pretend had never happened, have a little ceremony, name their child, feel like they've got hope for the future. It's pretty important work that we do here. As you mentioned before, unplanned pregnancies and abortions happen amongst church families. Mm. Is your counselling to Christian women in any way different to people who aren't Christian? Mm. For Christians, yes, understanding God's forgiveness is so important, even in this, even that God can forgive this. It's really the gift of the gospel, isn't it? Because, you know, okay, yeah, I I took this and I shouldn't have and I, you know, I said a rude word to somebody. I mean, that's, yeah, we can understand that God can forgive that. But when it comes to something as profound as abortion, this is the good news. Yeah, even that. Mm. But people struggle with that because then there's also the area of, yeah, well, okay, God forgives me, but I don't forgive myself. So we mm. work through that. And obviously, if we've got a Christian person in front of us, then we've got more established common ground to work with as Christian counsellors. For non-Christians or people who don't readily identify, they still, forgiveness is a big thing in their lives. And opening up the, the possibilities and talking about understandings of life and where you get your values from and spiritual concerns people have I mean that's that's all okay in counseling you can talk about that open up the questions you know I'm not there to preach anyone but you can still go in that direction ask questions in that direction they may be open to those things and if people do want to pursue that further we can refer people on to churches where they might already have a connection or the family might. So that's another reason why we need to be well connected with churches because we would like to be able to confidently send people along because some churches might take a different approach to us and just be very much about sin and uh, the need for forgiveness. And I'm not, a, I'm not against that, but it's how we get there because these people are often very vulnerable. And I mean, I think we should do it all the time with everybody in a very careful way. But coming down hard on somebody who already knows how how bad they are and have filled with shame is not going to help anyone. And Jesus wouldn't do that. He's for them, you know. Mm. <laughs> He's here. Mm. I'm aware that a lot of women listen to this podcast and there might be some women who have had an abortion what would you want to say to them? Everybody's situation is different and has mm. its own complexities, mm. but what would your big message be? My big message would be if people have never really considered their abortion experience or who have struggled to, to find anywhere to talk about it, to not be afraid to actually go there and work it through. Even if people feel like they had a good reason to have an abortion, I suspect it's had a big impact on them. There's no fear 
in examining these things and maybe finding someone that they can trust to to talk things through with. Some people, and this would include Christian people, never tell anybody that they had an abortion and that will impact them as well. So I guess I would just encourage people to uh, remember God's for them. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Liz, I'm sure that you know, this, this has been your life's work in some ways. You've been mm. doing this for how many years? Oh, 23 years. So it's a long time and there's a lot of hard stories that you've heard along the way. Mm. When you have a particularly bad day or a particularly big week, what keeps you turning up to work? Depending how I'm coping with it, I suppose, and what, what might be causing me to lose heart, I do allow myself to have my my feelings of, well, well, what's the point, you know, sometimes, or all of that. That's okay. I can feel like that. But in the end, uh, I guess I do have a little talk with myself that this is the issue of our era. Just in terms of sheer numbers of people who are having abortions and the impact that abortion is having on our community, which I don't think is well recognised, particularly the impact on families and parenting and family life. Uh, the connections are there, I think, if you, if you do take some time to examine things and do a bit of reading. Abortion is impacting our ability to remain a civilised society. If we are able to dispose of the most vulnerable, and I would say the un unwanted, unborn children are the most vulnerable members of the human family. If we are able to dispose of them for difficult, re you know, for really challenging reasons, but for almost no reason at all, I think the humanity of our society is in doubt. And I don't want to leave that kind of society to my children. Whether we'll be able to save the society, I don't know, but I just need to do my bit. And I think my bit's here, and that's what keeps me going. And as a Christian, what keeps me going as a, as a Christian is I don't know anywhere else or anyone else where we can find such truth and love than in Jesus. So I love that passage in John where the disciples are, and Jesus are having this talk and he's talking about really hard things. Jesus says, do you not want to leave me too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I think that's true in my own life too. I, I don't know. Either this is just one great big joke life or everything has meaning and you are precious and I am precious and that's what keeps me going. Thank you so much Liz. I really appreciate your time in talking about the work that you do and talking about your life mm. and your joys thank and you so much. your struggles. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. 
Special thanks goes to our platform host, the Gospel Coalition Australia. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper. And voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.